When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. I tell you what, he's a lot more obsessed with me than I am with him. <laughs> if Donald is the nominee, Hillary wins and she wins by double digits. If you're a Hillary supporter, you're rooting for Donald. Obfuscate the real problems facing our society and find somebody you can blame. That's what demagoguery is about. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man whose convention got really poor ratings compared to the Democrats. Really weak. Sad. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg, still in Philadelphia for the last day of the Democratic convention. So you've heard the protests from the Bernie or bust folks. They've been making a huge ruckus at the convention and outside the convention. They were even protesting and disrupting during the president's speech yesterday. And my guest today has a message for them. You are helping to elect Donald Trump and destroy everything you claim to believe in. He's Barney Frank, and I'll be back with him after we do the tweets. Our not very bright vice president, Joe Biden, just stated that I wanted to carpet bomb the enemy. Sorry, Joe, that was Ted Cruz. President Obama spoke last night about a world that doesn't exist. 70% of the people think our country is going in the wrong direction. No matter what Bill Clinton says and no matter how well he says it, the phony media will exclaim it to be incredible, highly overrated. The invention of email has proven to be a very bad thing for Crooked Hillary in that it has proven her to be both incompetent and a liar. Wow, the Republican convention went so smoothly compared to the Dems' total mess. But fear not, the dishonest media will find a good spin. My guest today is former Congressman Barney Frank. He's the author of the book last year, Frank, A Life in Politics, and he was co-chair of the Rules Committee for the Democratic National Committee. Congressman, thank you for joining me on the show. Great to. So first, I actually want to talk a little bit about the Rules Committee. This was a place where I think you made peace initially between Hillary supporters and Bernie supporters. Was that difficult? What happened? Well, I didn't make the peace. I sort of presided over the process in which they made it with each other. There were some contentious issues. The question of what are called superdelegates are technically ex-officio delegates, delegates who hold their get-a-vote because of some other position. There were questions of which the Sanders people were critical of superdelegates because they were not for Sanders on the whole, and they said they were undemocratic. On the other hand, caucuses are much less democratic than primaries. You know, in this last election, Hillary Clinton was the nominee of the primaries and Bernie Sanders of the caucuses. The caucuses are smaller. They play better for that kind of intense 
passionate people who are out of time on their hands as opposed to a primary. So there was some movement to go from caucuses to primaries, although some of the Sanders people also wanted to do that. There were some other questions about who should vote in primaries, and those appeared at first to be contentious. The Sanders and Clinton people began talking about that. Uh, Senator Sanders, for example, was originally talking about abolishing all of the ex officio delegates, but the Congressional Black Caucus spoke out very strongly against that and had conversations with him. And so uh, what we did was uh, kind of a two-step process. First, we used the rules fairly. I was the co-chair with Senator Vanderput from uh, Texas. Anybody who wanted to make a motion was allowed to do it, had full chance to talk. There was not even the slightest hint of any repression. As the motions by Sanders delegates to abolish all of the ex officio delegates were defeated, and the Sanders people knew that was going to happen, but we said we're going to give everybody a vote, then the question became, okay, we're not going to get them all done away with. Is there grounds for a compromise that will substantially reduce that number while honoring the concerns of the Black Caucus and move from caucuses to primaries? And uh, what then happened was, frankly, the Sanders people and the Clinton people negotiated this agreement. The Sanders people had a little trouble selling it to their own people. I did think it was a little ironic that the Sanders campaign, which has been the great advocate of openness, there were people outside chanting, open the doors because the room wasn't big enough. At that point, the Sanders people asked us to declare a recess so they could have a private closed caucus of their delegates to agree to this proposal to have further openness in the party. But, you know, I think that made sense. At any rate, that's what we did. We had a kind of a recess of a couple of hours. The Sanders people came back and voted for a program which Senator Sanders himself says represents a great advance towards what he wants. And I agree, it does make the process much more small-D democratic. Although it was fundamentally democratic, it'll be even more so. So Senator Sanders endorsed Hillary Clinton here at the convention. After the roll call vote, he moved that her nomination be passed by acclamation. But there's a group of his supporters, these the dead-enders, the diehards, the Bernie or Bus people, who are not going along. What's going on? Why is that happening? Well, it is interesting that people who believe passionately that Senator Sanders was an extraordinarily wise and thoughtful advocate of how to make change suddenly decided he got stupid. I do not understand how Senator Sanders was such a principled advocate of how to do things in the minds of some of these people, uh, and then an hour later, he wasn't. Uh, I think they are people who are unappreciative of the fact that they live in a very big country with a very diverse set of opinions, and that if you insist on the absolute purity of every single opinion you have, you will be ineffective in advocating them. Now, I've had some differences with Senator Sanders about how you do advocacy, but he clearly understands, you know, he spent 20, he's in his 26th year in the U.S. Congress. He does understand some of how you get change to be made. And apparently he's got people uh, who don't. And I, I must say, is I, have, I, I asked one guy who called me on the radio on that, and he said, oh, Sanders had lost the courage of his convictions. I was outraged by that. I differed with Bernie Sanders on some things. But to accuse him of lacking the courage of his convictions with his career? Uh, so there's no logical answer for that. There's a secondary point. I do think it was my one criticism of the Sanders campaign. I was glad he raised the issues he raised. On many of them, I agreed with him. I've voted against NAFTA and every trade bill since. On the other hand, I think some of his criticisms of Hillary Clinton went too far. There is no evidence whatsoever that she was influenced in public policy by any financial activity with the banks. She was a supporter of our big financial reform bill. In the years since she was Secretary of State, when the Republicans have tried to weaken that financial reform bill, she was an advocate of protecting it. 
That's why Elizabeth Warren, who has been the major advocate for financial regulation, is so strong in favor of her. So I think Senator Sanders overdid it some. And some of his people may have taken that a little bit too seriously. But I think the basic problem is you have people who are temperamentally and philosophically opposed to the notion that in a diverse country with a lot of people where your opinion on every issue is not in the majority, you have to think how best to make change, understanding that you're not going to win every issue. And the notion that unless you get everything you want, you reject any change is, of course, very self-defeating, as Bernie Sanders recognizes. You've been up in their face here at the convention. I think yesterday at an LGBT caucus, you were really very provocative saying, look, you, you people who aren't coming around, you're helping to elect Donald Trump. Oh, I, I, I also don't understand this notion of unilateral rhetorical disarmament. We have people who have been supporters of Senator Sanders. In the course of that support, they have been very critical of almost everybody else. They have been critical of members of Congress. Well, I think some of the criticisms are inaccurate. And uh, I do not understand the view that people who are self-described uh, sort of militants and radicals may impugn everybody else's integrity, but those of us who responded that political strategy is terribly mistaken and counterproductive are somehow picking on them. Uh, no, I think it is very important. I, I welcome everybody's right to say everything. And this is a fundamental debate about how you achieve change. This is a fundamental debate. And by the way, I also pointed out, and I was speaking to the LGBT delegates, that part of what some of the Sanders diehards are doing is to say that LGBT rights don't matter much. They talk about other issues where they don't think Hillary Clinton is good enough. Well, if you support, if you let Donald Trump win over Hillary Clinton, if you help that by not voting for her, then you're damaging LGBT rights. You're hurting African-Americans. You're hurting immigrants and Hispanics. I do ask them to note that overwhelmingly LGBT voters, African-American voters, and Hispanic voters want Hillary Clinton to beat Donald Trump. Most of them wanted her to beat Bernie Sanders. And to say, because we don't agree that she's passionate enough about trade, and we don't think she should have accepted some speaking fees, we're going to not help our LGBT friends and our African-American friends and our Hispanic friends protect themselves. LGBT issues seem to be one place where Trump is not terrible. Is part of it that the LGBT advocates don't think a Trump presidency would be disastrous for them? No, it is that we think he is terrible. Here's the deal. First of all, the single most important thing you do is to appoint a Supreme Court justice. The Supreme Court has been the fount of any progress we've made. He has announced that he will appoint a justice in the mode of Antonin Scalia, the most influential official homophobe in American history. Secondly, the only thing he said that's been somewhat supportive is that he will defend us against the violence from a foreign ideology. What happened in Orlando is terrible, but I must tell you, for most of my life as a gay man and as an advocate, foreign ideologies have not been our major problem. Homegrown bigots have been our problem. Local Americans have been our problem. And he was very careful that the, the only positive thing he says is he's going to protect us against foreign ideology. He's not going to protect us against people who would use their religion to deny our right as same-sex married couples to go forward. So on every official issue that affects us, he's on the wrong side. The specter that's looming over the convention in a way is Ralph Nader, 2000. The risk that a group of, of left-wing split-off voters from the Democratic Party is through some act of conscience end up producing a result that is totally contrary to what they say they want. How worried should we be about that this time around? I don't quantify worry. What I say is if it's a problem, you deal with it. Look, different people can deal with different problems. I particularly think, and that's when I got into the argument with some of these people, that those of us who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender have a special right to go to Sanders' people and say, not all of Sanders' people, not Sanders himself. We're talking about a minority. 
please don't tell me that you're morally superior to the rest of us, and you're going to prove that by disregarding our rights. I don't understand how people can reconcile the claim that they're going to do more to make this an equal society than the rest of us and say, but not for, for African-American rights, not to get the Voting Rights Act restored, not to do something about immigration reform, not to do something about protecting LGBT rights. So um, I, I am worried about that. Uh, I think the Democrats, frankly, Al Gore, I tried to get the Gore people to look at that in 2000. I think they were a little late to the game. And uh, I think people have learned some. I've seen people say, well, I voted for NATO. I won't make that mistake again, especially with the Supreme Court. It's never been more clear about the Supreme Court, which is in some ways four to four. At best, on a couple of issues for us, five to three. So, yeah, I think that is a serious issue. I will say this. As I see it now, most of the people who are saying they're not going to vote for Hillary Clinton, having been Sanders supporters, probably didn't vote for any Democrat. It is certainly the case that virtually every one of the criticisms of Hillary Clinton applies even with more force to Barack Obama. He's pushed for the trade bills. I just had a young man complaining to me that she was too close to Saudi Arabia. Well, Barack Obama, like other presidents, has been very close to Saudi Arabia. I don't agree with the policy in many ways, but it's a geopolitical fact that has affected a whole range of presidents. In terms of, they, they had an ad complaining that Goldman Sachs wasn't penalized. And, and really, in a McCarthyite way, suggesting that was Hillary Clinton's fault. She took a speaking fee long afterwards. In fact, if you think that there hasn't been sufficient prosecution, that's on Barack Obama and Eric Holder. She had nothing to do with it. The Secretary of State doesn't bring criminal prosecutions. So again, I think you're talking about a group of people who are never going to be satisfied, who don't understand how politics works, and whose interest in their own emotional purity outweighs their willingness to really help other people who are in need. Barney, you've been around democratic politics your whole life. Are we dealing with something new here? I mean, some people do look at how well Bernie did and then the, these, these sort of Bernie Leninists and say, you know, is this the birth of a democratic tea party? Well, two things. First of all, you correctly point out we had that with Ralph Nader. Nader got, what, three million votes? That's, that's more votes than I think are going to go to a left candidate this time. So this notion of uh, this notion that there is a test that we're going to apply to a Democratic candidate that no one will ever meet. No Democratic candidate or nominee has ever met it. By the way, Bernie Sanders doesn't meet it. We see this now because the, large, the biggest single decision Bernie Sanders has made recently is we should vote for Hillary Clinton. And these are people who are angry at him, who are repudiating him. Uh, beyond that, though, there is a change. And I welcome that. For years, those of us who were trying to fight against unfair economic distribution were dismissed because we were for class warfare. That ended this year. There is now a recognition that growth is a good thing in itself, but that it has been accompanied in recent years by an increase in inequality. And that's new. The recognition on the part of a lot of voters that inequality cannot simply be trickled down the way. And that one I welcome. And that's by the way, you, that, that, and that's international. People say, Gee, why is Hillary Clinton not doing better? Frankly, she's the only candidate who is in some ways establishment-oriented, or not oriented, but identified. She's been on the outside. You know, in the, in the 90s, she was the left wing of the Clinton administration. Hillary Clinton is doing much better than the European Union in England, than Francois Hollande in France, than Jeb Bush you have this phenomenon of people being angry. I agree they, they're right to be angry. I think they misunderstand how best to deal with it. But that's, so part of it is as this leftist group. Now I'd say here's the analysis for this year. Bernie Sanders got these votes because the notion of insisting on a, on a kind of a purity joined this larger group that are angry at economic inequality. I think what you're going to see is that Sanders will be successful 
and Donald Trump will be successful in moving most of those people who are motivated substantively by the increased inequality to vote for Hillary Clinton. There will be this minority that didn't vote for Al Gore and didn't vote for Bill Clinton and didn't vote for Harry Truman and thought Franklin Roosevelt was a sellout to the capitalists. Democrats had a great night last night at the convention. Joe Biden attacked Trump really effectively. Michael Bloomberg, in a different way, I think, scored some effective points against Trump. And then Barack Obama came through with one of his really effective set piece speeches that people found really inspiring. What was your reaction watching and listening last night? Oh, I was very enthused, and I think you have to take it together. We started on Monday morning with some booing and some... Uh, and then, beginning with Bernie Sanders' speech, you have a very impressive set of thoughtful, powerful, emotional addresses making the case for voting for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump, and it built. And last night, you had some of the great speakers in recent American history out there, uh, Joe Biden, who's been so wonderful, and, and, and Barack Obama, and Mike Bloomberg with a unique perspective as the independent. He was a man that many of these people who say they just had a right wanted to run, and he's now saying, no, I'm not running. Join me in voting for Hillary Clinton. I think it was a very powerful night. Uh, 2008, first African-American president. 2016, first woman as a nominee of a major party. What year do you think it will be when an openly gay person will be the nominee of a major party or possibly elected president? First, I've been I've underpredicted this, but there's a symbolic thing about the presidency. I think we're at least 20 years away from that. Congressman, thanks for joining me on Trumpcast. Let me just say, I think um, as difficult as it is to figure out what... Uh, Bill Clinton's position will be as, as uh, first man. I think, uh, seriously, the, the, the notion of a, of, a, of a gay or lesbian spouse, uh, that's going to take a little longer to overcome. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced in Philadelphia by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Special thanks, as ever, to John D. Domenico, our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. You have no idea what my strategy on ISIS is, and neither does ISIS. A good thing. Please get your facts straight. Thanks. At Megyn Kelly.